Welcome to Any Given You. This show is about all things college football, and on it you will hear insights, analysis, discussion, predictions, and stories of any given topic from any given time, past, present, or future. We believe that the stats are great, but the stories are greater. And you should listen if you have a passion for the game and what makes it great. We're going to talk about touchdowns and touched lives. Come with us on a journey that extends beyond the field of play. We will talk wins, losses, and coachable moments learned on the football field and taken to the classroom, workforce, home, and even the battlefield. Division one to division none. Five-star recruits to walk-ons, it doesn't matter. If it's college football, it's worth the story. I'm your host, Michael Megan. U.S. Army Ranger and a former college football player, and more importantly, a lifelong fan of all things college football. Whether you are a casual fan, a fanatic, a coach, a player, or just a person who loves great stories, then huddle up and commit at Any Given You. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Any Given You podcast. As always, I'm your host, Michael Megan, and we have a fantastic show here for you today as we continue along with our win totals previews for the 2022 season, picking up with the SEC West. Before we get into today's content, I want to remind everybody that if you are enjoying the show, please go over to Spotify and Apple Pods and or Apple Pods or both and leave us a five-star rating if you would be so kind. And if you have just a few minutes or like 30 seconds or any time at all, please write us a review as well as it will help to generate more awareness about this show, about the podcast, as we continue to try to bring you the best, most entertaining, most thorough, uh, you know, college football content and analysis that we can. I messed up last show. I really did. I went back, I listened to SEC East win totals, and I said, Oop, I did it again. I went too long. I definitely busted you know, sort of the time frame that I was looking for. I was trying to be more clear, concise, and I've been diving into these teams, right? And I've realized I've kind of made a little bit of a mistake. Uh, it's not so much team previews as it is the win totals, sort of projections for overs and unders. So in this one, I think we're going to keep it a little more broad stroke, a little more light, a little more airy, and kind of skip the Ranger School class. That would be the maybe the chemistry lesson to the lay person, right? And instead of delving in and diving into who the backup edge rusher is for this squad or, you know, something like that, diving into these names on rosters that largely most of you probably won't even remember anyway, we're just going to kind of broad stroke it, talk about the, the units as a whole, what these teams kind of do well versus don't do well, and how that matches up against the schedule. And then, you know, taking that and looking at that through the lens of what are the other teams are going to be playing look like, what do they look like? Like in the football power index, what does Vegas think? And we're going to shake it all out. And I feel like we'll have a pretty good idea of where these teams are going for this fall. But, you know, just wanting to keep it a little more, uh, how do you say this, informal for this episode. So definitely want to get right into it, though. As it is no surprise to anybody, Alabama is picked again to win the SEC West. Caesars has these guys at 11 and a half wins. They are begging you to take the under here as you your only choice at that point if you take the over is you are basically banking on them to have an undefeated season. Alabama hasn't done that for a very long time. Now, they did go undefeated in the 2020 season, but that was, again, the COVID-shortened season. It was an all-SEC uh, schedule, 
Uh, but, but again, that's not 12 games on the schedule. Uh, so what do we really think about this 11 and a half win margin? I think if you take a look at Alabama, they're certainly capable of going undefeated. I mean, if you uh, let, let me if you're taking a look at their football power index, they're rated number one overall. They have a roster that is 89% in the blue chip ratio. Again, that's 89% of their roster comprised of four star or higher rated players. And they have been extremely active in the transfer portal this offseason, additions to their roster at every need that they had. And I, I will say this, their use of the portal in this offseason was to address needs. Let's not make any bones about that one. It wasn't leisure picks that they're going out there for. If I know Nick Saban, which I don't personally, but I feel like certain folks may echo this sentiment, and especially folks who are fans of the Alabama Crimson Tide. He is a guy that has been historically all about process, all about development, all about the team culture and the guys that he brings in through the program as they develop year after year after year. Using the portal might have even pained him a little bit, but because he is the coach that he is and he's going to adapt and change with the times as we have seen, he's going to go out and address his roster needs by bringing in guys like Jameer Gibbs and Eli Ricks and uh, you know some of the other guys that are needed at units on this Crimson Tide team to bolster it. They had a need at running back last year that became painfully obvious in the championship round. So they go out, they address that. They had some young guys in the secondary that weren't playing as well as they wanted them to. They go out, they address that. They bolster their wide receiver room again after losing John Mechie and Jamison Williams and Slade Bolden, going out and getting a Jermaine Burton from Georgia. They go out, they get a Tyler Harrell, who's a dude who's absolutely a speed freak from Louisville. So this offense, again, with Bryce Young and an offensive line returning is going to be very powerful again. Defensively, they're going to be a monster with guys like Will Anderson and Dallas Turner up front. They have a solid veteran linebacker in Henry Toa Toa. They got Jordan Battle returning at safety. And I, like I said, they brought in Eli Ricks from LSU. So this team is disgustingly talented. It's Alabama. I mean, like newsflash, right? Where have you, have you been living under a rock for the last several years? Maybe you don't know who they are, but you know, for the college football world, we all know what Alabama is capable of. So let's take a look at this schedule here. On September 3rd, they open the season hosting Utah State. They will beat them decisively, comfortably. They're going to rotate in their backup guys by probably the late second, if not the third quarter, as I think they'll absolutely trounce that team. As they use that tune-up game opportunity to take a road trip on September the 10th to Austin, Texas to take on the Texas Longhorns. Now, the Texas Longhorns are actually, right now, the odds-on favorite to win the Big 12, according to ESPN. Now, I beg to differ with ESPN on a lot of things, uh, but Texas certainly has the accumulated talent from the last several recruiting cycles. They just have not been able to put it together on the field. Recruiting is absolutely the lifeblood of college football, but the culture and the development is the heart that pumps that blood, and that is what Texas has been lacking. We'll have to see what this second year Steve Sarkeesian Texas product kind of looks like. However, I am absolutely prophesying that Alabama, a team that has been doing this, not dabbling in this, doing this at a high level for a long time, goes into Austin, gets that win, as I think they will actually win pretty comfortably too. It'll be interesting to see where Texas goes from that one, but we're not talking about them right now. September 17th, they host 
Louisiana Monroe, who actually, hilariously enough, beat Alabama in Nick Saban's first year there, and I don't think they've played him since. I don't see them shocking the world for a second time, so that's an easy victory. Then they have Vanderbilt. That's a win. They have to take a road trip to Arkansas. That one, I think, could be a really physical contest. I think that's going to be probably the most physical game that Alabama is going to play up to that point. And then right on the heels of that, they're hosting Texas A&M. And I, this has the feel of a grudge match at this point. Alabama lost to these guys last year. In Kyle Field, now they get a chance to return the favor. I think Texas A&M comes into this one with a chip on their shoulder too. I think it could be a really entertaining game as both of these rosters are very talented. Texas A&M's recruited very well over the last several years. But I don't think I need to remind anybody what happens to teams when they beat Alabama the year prior. They usually get splattered in the uh, rematch. So we'll have to see what happens with that one. Then it's the third Saturday in October. They play Tennessee, and Tennessee hasn't beat them again in a decade and a half. And uh, they host them. I, I know that they're really going to want to get that one. I just don't see it in the cards for them. Mississippi State takes a trip to Alabama. Again, Mississippi State, a team that could be really quirky and tricky. And I think they're a team that could play with the best of them on any given Saturday. It just it's You never know which way that egg's really going to roll with them. You know, Do they show up and look like world beaters or do they show up and look like clown shoes? It's I, I don't know. Then November 5th. A trip to Death Valley, and I think that this could be the trickiest spot for Alabama in the entire year. It's not because I think LSU is going to be like a, a 10-win team and you know be back to the kind of their former glories. This Alabama LSU grudge match is just it's always tight. LSU gets up for these games. And like I said, going through a slate of sort of physical opponents there, uh, that October stretch there, I think that's the most vulnerable they could be. Then they have Ole Miss, who I think will be pretty pretty decent, but again, nothing they shouldn't be able to handle. Austin P. and then the Iron Bowl at the end of the year with an Auburn squad that I just I know that they get up for that game, but they have to play in Tuscaloosa, and I think this Auburn team is going to be even less talented and probably less motivated than even what we saw last year. And I don't even know if Brian Harson would be the head coach by then if things don't go well for him in September, October. So Alabama has an 86.7% chance of winning the SEC West. However, they have a 16.6% chance of winning out on this season. And that's very telling to me. It tells me that when you compare that with Georgia, who has actually better than a 20% chance of winning out on the year, you're just talking about the volatility factor of these two divisions. In the East, it's more like walking on packing peanuts to get what you want. In the West, it's more like walking on sharp rocks. It's not that it can't be done. It's just going to take a toll to make that walk could end up stumbling. So honestly, Alabama is absolutely a team that is fully capable of winning a national championship. They're fully capable of winning an SEC title. They're fully capable of derailing Georgia and Atlanta if those two were to meet up, which is the most likely scenario. I just don't think that for this 11 and a half, I'm going to lean to the under and say that somebody somewhere clips Alabama. I think what we'll see in the classic sense is Alabama will get clipped, they'll get focused, then they'll go on an absolute murdering spree. I'm taking this sort of empirical evidence of last year, right, Alabama looking much more beatable in 2021. You had to remember there were several games that were sort of bounce a ball where Alabama was fortunate to get out of there with the win. And of course, they have the outright loss to Texas A&M. 
Obviously, you also have the 2019 season with Alabama where, again, they looked pretty mortal at 10-2. and They did go on a tear in that 2020 revenge tour in the SEC-shortened year, so there's always that factor where they could come back this year and be that version of that. And that's very possible, but I do believe that somebody clips them. I'm projecting 11-1 and for Alabama. I'm not exactly sure where that's going to come. I think somewhere in that Texas A&M, Tennessee, Mississippi State, LSU, that four-game stretch right there kind of has me a little bit concerned for them. Again, because we're addressing a little bit of the depth. Again, going out in the transfer portal, picking up those guys, because I think Nick Saban was actually concerned about the level of readiness of the depth of his squad. So I could see that taking a toll and them getting clipped, but Alabama, a fantastic team, absolutely a national championship caliber contender and your favorite outside of Athens and Columbus, Ohio to win a national title this year. Next up on the docket is my new favorite team in Texas A&M out there in Aggieland where I will be heading to take my new position here shortly and uh, see what that's all about. And it should be an exciting 2022 season. I cannot wait to get out there. They've got a really incredible schedule with some very cool games coming into town, especially that Miami. Uh, Miami makes a trip to uh, Kyle Field, as does uh, Florida. So hopefully I'll get out there and catch a couple of these games. But let's talk about the 2022 Texas A&M Aggies. First off, taking a look at the roster top to bottom, this is undoubtedly the second most talented team in the SEC West. Over the last four years, bringing in some elite level recruiting, top 10 classes there with Jimbo Fisher for a combination of size and speed, physicality, being able to play balanced football on the offensive side of the ball and very good defensive ball as well. Last year, injuries really hamstrung their year, in my opinion, as they did go 8-4 and four behind Zach Calzada, but they did manage to make good on Jimbo Fisher's preseason promise of beating Alabama and Tuscaloosa. So it begs the, kind of begs the question if they could have gotten their first choice at quarterback last year and played with some consistency, a little less injury, what could we have seen out of Texas A&M last year versus the 8-4 and four season? They bring in transfer quarterback from LSU, Max Johnson, who will battle with Haynes King for the starting position, and five-star recruit Connor Wegman is waiting in the wind. So their quarterback room is extremely talented, and either way, whoever wins that job is going to be the guy that needs to be there. Their offensive line have featured two freshmen last year that were very, very good, they return four out of five. That should be a very good unit. They have uh, running back Devin A. Kane backfield there running for 910 yards last year. So very solid there at the running back position. A good, talented group of wide receivers that will have to play better, though, because Texas A&M, one of the things that has hamstrung them the last couple of years is their lack of explosivity in the passing game. I mean, we're talking about, like, almost dead last in the country. So if their passing game, their their ability to push the ball down the field can become even top 75 with the way they are able to, you know, kind of dominate and control the line of scrimmage and lean on that run game and play with some balance, we could see a pretty potent offensive attack. Defensive coordinator DJ Durkin comes in after doing a really bang-up job. This guy has had a history of success wherever he's gone, except maybe Maryland, unfortunately. But uh, for him as a head coach, we don't need to get into the particulars of that. But he was the defensive coordinator at Ole Miss the last couple of years. If you were to take a look at 2020 Ole Miss, you might not be very impressed. But taking a look at 2021 Ole Miss, 
I saw that defense take a huge step forward from the product that you were looking at in 2020. He is inheriting a Texas A&M defense that's extremely talented. Now, they do lose a lot across that defensive front, but they got a guy in the the All-American safety, Antonio Johnson, who's a really good signal caller for that defense back there. They have speedy, fast linebackers. They got really good corner play, and they do have an inject of young guys on this uh, highly the highest rated recruiting class ever where they went out and basically you know recruited bought whatever you want to call it either way they're wearing maroon and white defensive line like five edge players five interior defensive linemen so these guys you may see them rotate in they should at least have depth and then the guys that hit the nfl like the marvin leal for example the dudes that were playing behind him i'm sure are still really good players as those, you know, their front four pretty much were all Sunday players, a lot of them going on to the NFL. So this is a team that's built defensively and offensively with a lot of talent, a lot of size, a lot of speed, a lot of physicality, and they may have quarterback figured out this year, which would be a huge step in the progression of this program that has stacked four consecutive top 10 recruiting classes. Taking a look at their schedule, I think that Number one, this schedule ain't no bitch, okay? Taking a look at it, they have Sam Houston State, which is a very good FCS team. They have App State as a non-con as well. They have also elected to take on Miami. But they host a lot of home games this year. As I'm totaling it up, I'm seeing their first four games are at home. They're at home against Ole Miss as well. They are also at home for uh, hosting Florida. They are at home against LSU as well. And they take on UMass on November 19th for a stat patter there. Miami comes to town on September 17th. A lot of excitement, a lot of groundswell around this Miami program. When you take a look at the Miami program last year under Manny Diaz, that youth movement he got on the field, you know, was able to play pretty well down the stretch. And they have quarterback Tyler Van Dimes, as they like to call him in the 305, but his name is Tyler Van Dyke, with a a really a pretty talented young team around him. The thing is, is right now Miami's flirting with it. They're dabbling with taking that step towards becoming a upper echelon team. Texas A&M already has the roster to do that, and I think they do get right in you know the injury department, the quarterback department, everything else. I think Miami's going to get a little bit of an education in Kyle Field, which I think that would be a really hard environment to go on the road and actually win that game. Arkansas comes to town. Arkansas could be a really tricky team and and an interesting matchup for Texas A&M, but I do have them winning that one at home. They have to take the trip to Tuscaloosa. I think Alabama does get their revenge. Now, by how many touchdowns, that remains to be seen. I'm not exactly sure if, you know, Alabama just goes full on, you know, what they like kind of what they did to LSU in 2020 on the on the heels of that Joe Burrow uh, 2019, you know, embarrassment that's slight against the program. Right. And I think Alabama has plenty of fuel, probably a pretty could could get ugly. Let's put it that way for Texas A&M. So I, I have that as a loss. Their cross-divisional draw with South Carolina. I still think South Carolina is in the building process. Texas A&M is just a much better roster, so I do see them winning that game. Mississippi comes to town. Now, they play Texas A&M, and even though they do have to take the trip to College Station, I think Ole Miss could be a really, really tough matchup for the styles that these two play with. Like Joe Rogan says, styles make fights. This fight's interesting, and something else to consider. You do have DJ 
Durkin, who was just at Ole Miss. You, you wonder whether or not Lane Kiffin is going to be able to identify some of his tendencies right, and be a step ahead of his former coordinator with what he's going to be able to do offensively. Ole Miss is a team that has a lot of really interesting portal acquisitions that have made this team kind of dangerous. So I'm going to actually lean Ole Miss in that one. I think they may take a loss there. Florida comes to town. We've already discussed Florida in the SEC East win totals. I think they will struggle mightily with Texas A&M's talent and physicality, so I, th I have them losing that one. I have them going on the road and getting a win against Auburn and Jordan-Hare, UMass, and then LSU comes to town. And for some sneaky reason, I feel like that is going to be a statement game for LSU. I think that they do get that win under Brian Kelly there as he you know wants to try to plant that flag there on the season. So I could see that game being a little more toss-up territory than maybe Texas A&M wants to admit. So for the eight and a half, I am leaning to the over, but I'm leaning to the over banking more on like a nine. I think nine and three is probably pretty realistic for this team this year. I think it will be a stepping stone or springboard year into the 2023-2024 territory where I think Texas A&M will take it to a whole new level. It's time to talk about my family out there in Baton Rouge, Louisiana with uh, Brian Kelly's LSU Tigers. If you don't know what I was referencing right now, just go ahead and type in YouTube Brian Kelly LSU uh, pep rally or basketball game when he first was announced as the head coach there addressing the uh, LSU faithful with his fabricated southern accent. Very funny stuff. But I digress. Even for all the weird quirky stuff since Brian Kelly's taken over, LSU is a program that feels like it is going to be trending back in the right direction here in 2022. How many wins that actually translates to remains to be seen, but I think we're going to see a more competitive and competent product on the field this fall. Caesars has them at seven and a half wins for the season. With a roster that features a front seven that we've already discussed in previous episodes that is pretty stacked. I mean, they have guys like B.J. Ojolari, Ja'Kalen Roy. They have Makai Wingo. They've got a lot of talent up there, especially at the edge positions and interior defensive linemen. They have one of the most explosive wide receiver threats in Kayshawn Butte in the entire country. And then if Miles Brennan can stay healthy, he has demonstrated that he is a pretty competent quarterback. The offensive line is a point of concern for LSU, as is some unproven commodities in the backfield. And then the surrounding talent around Kayshawn Butte uh, kind of remains to be seen. Secondary is going to need a little bit of work as well, too, with some on-the-job training, but there are an, there is enough baseline talent here on this roster that if Brian Kelly can get them playing with a little more precision this fall could make this team kind of dangerous. And I think that this team is actually going to be kind of dangerous at home. I, like, duh, right? Death Valley is a hard place to go in and get a win. But I feel like a resurgent kind of revitalized program with Brian Kelly at the helm could really be interesting here this fall at home. So 
They do open the year with a non-converse Florida State. Florida State comes to town on September the 4th for a 7.30 p.m. game in Death Valley. I think that that environment is going to be a little bit too much for Florida State, who I think is trending in the right direction, but that is a really hard ask for Florida State to come in there and beat LSU, an SEC opponent coming out of the ACC, obviously, for Florida State. When I was taking a look at teams that I thought would have some pretty good success against LSU, it's teams that have strong, pretty strong offensive line play and the ability to push the ball down the field as well. And uh, that is not really Florida State over the last several years. Florida State has had markedly bad offensive line play and not much of a vertical passing attack to speak of. So I think LSU out physicals them out, athletes them up front and has success, uh, you know, moving the ball down the field on Florida State as well. So I see Tigers getting the win in that one. They play Southern, they'll get a win there. Mississippi State, again, sort of a toss-up, but LSU does host them. They do decent play in the trenches for Mississippi State, and that air raid attack could be a little tricky for this LSU defense at the linebacker positions that are more, I think, more built to stop the run as opposed to cover in space. So I, I would actually think that maybe Mississippi State gets the win in that one. New Mexico, LSU will win that one at home. Then they have to take a trip for the first time on the road on October the 1st and go to Auburn. Now, Auburn is a team that I'm, again, we're getting to them. You haven't heard me talk about them yet, right, because they're not projected to do very well this year, and I don't think they really will either. But I could see them winning this game, again, because of the – one of the strengths of this Auburn roster is their offensive line. Their offensive line has not been very good over the last couple of years, but they do return all five with a back like Tank Bigsby. And so if they can stay stout up front and kind of take the air out of the ball and kind of lean on this LSU roster in Jordan Hare and Auburn having a history of playing markedly better at home and kind of having some really weird fluky stuff kind of go their way. I don't know. They're kind of, they're kind of that team where I could see LSU dropping one to them there. And then the next week, Tennessee comes to LSU. Tennessee, a team that ran the ball very well last year, did not pass protect particularly well. If LSU gets them in a position where they're able to pin their ears back and turn those pass rushers loose, I'm not exactly sure it'll go Tennessee's way, but I am banking on a balanced attack for Tennessee to give LSU some problems. So I, I'm, I'm toss-up territory a little bit because of the environment, but I would still lean Tennessee in that contest. LSU takes a trip to Florida. I think they will find a way to win that game. Uh, as, again, Florida, I think, will struggle mightily, uh, especially in terms of trench play. Uh, Mississippi comes to LSU, very strong offensive line for the uh, Ole Miss Rebels this year and what they're able to do on offense, so I think will give them a lot of problems, so I could see them losing that game as well. They host Alabama. Alabama-LSU, I think it's going to be a really good game and a super-spirited contest for sure, but I got Alabama in that one. LSU taking a trip to Arkansas. I think they find a way to get that win. They will host UAB, which is a pretty solid G5 team to be hosting in your non-con, but I see LSU winning that game. And then just as we spoke about a minute ago, for whatever reason, I don't know why, I just feel like LSU sort of has Texas A&M's number right now, so I could see them getting a win at the end of the year there. So if I'm tallying that up, that is exactly seven wins that I'm projecting for LSU, which would hit their under seven and a half 
in uh, the Caesars Sportsbook. And I think that I, I'm very much more inclined to take the under on this one. I even think six and six could be a possibility. At this LSU roster, although they do have talent in certain spots, there's just too much uncertainty right now over a lackluster performance over the last two years. However, there are position groups and units I think they're going to be able to build around. And Brian Kelly, you know, as long as he can keep the culture uh, there strong, keep this team doing the little things right, clean up some stuff from the Ed Orgeron you know, uh, era that preceded him, I think they're going to trend in the right direction. They're certainly already starting to trend in the right direction as far as the recruiting goes. Yeah, if Brian Kelly can keep people out of his weird Buffalo Bob strobe light chamber that he's dancing with these guys with, I'm, <laughs> I don't know what that's all about. That shit is creepy. But, um, you know, it's working for somebody. I don't know. I mean, he's getting recruits there. So I think it has to do more with the pedigree and a little less of the swag, quote unquote, that he's putting on right now. But really interested to see where he builds for the future. But for 2022, I'm thinking six and six, seven and five here for LSU. So I'm going to take the under seven and a half on this one. The Rowdy Rebels of Old Miss and the Lane Train in Oxford come in at a seven and a half mark as well. Man, I really like old numbers. I like the whole numbers so much better. I'm much more inclined to take overs on whole numbers because at least you kind of have your chance to win your money back. But if you're, you know, if you're actually betting on this stuff, but uh, seven and a half is the win total for Ole Miss, a team that has been very active in the offseason in the portal. They have landed some huge portal recruits like Jackson Dart, quarterback out of USC, a very highly rated guy in the portal. Aishim Young, a, a very good pickup from Iowa State at the safety position. The Cyclones will certainly miss him. I think he's a great addition to that defensive side of the ball. Running back Zach Evans out of TCU, who's an absolute sledgehammer and a uh, really talented guy as well in his own right. And then an absolute freakazoid at tight end, also out of USC in Michael Trigg. And this is really exciting because when they had Kenny Yaboa there, who was a really talented transfer tight end that they had in the 20. I believe it was the 2020 season. Uh, you know, this offense really did take off in that system there. They do lose Matt Corral, who was an absolute gamer for those guys. I mean, he was a huge, huge part of their success. But I do believe in Lane Kiffin in that system a little more than I believe in Matt Corral personally. I think it was a combination of both. Um, Lane Kiffin's a great evaluator of offensive talent and he's going to plug in the quarterback that is going to be able to run this system effectively and you know to a high standard and a high level this is one of the best offensively offensive innovative minds in the country he has had offensive success wherever he has gone there is a reason that Nick Saban trusted him with overhauling the offense at Alabama and you've seen Basically, they have kept a lot of the concepts and wrinkles that he brought there to Tuscaloosa. So Ole Miss returns a very, very stout, very experienced, very big offensive line. They were really good in the run game. Even though Snoop Connor is out, as I said, they brought in you know Zach Evans uh, from TCU and also a, a uh, transfer running back from SMU in uh, Ulysses Bentley the fourth, who is a – He's the flash to Zach Evans' smash. So you might see a two-back system that could be very, very effective, uh, leaning on that run game and then obviously going over the top 
with uh, you know whoever is playing quarterback for Ole Miss and um, uh, an absolute matchup nightmare with Michael Trigg. We already talked about the improved defensive side of the ball for Ole Miss as well. Building off of what DJ Durkin did last year, they addressed the defense not only in the transfer portal but also in the previous recruiting cycle. So I think the Rebels could be decent. I think they could be solid, a top 50 defensive unit coming into this year with an offense that is still going to be really potent. I slept on these guys last year, and they went 10-2 and two and went to the Sugar Bowl. I'm not going to make that mistake again. So at seven and a half wins, let's take a look at this schedule that is, in my opinion, sort of a beaut for these guys, especially early in the year. Their non-con is so manageable. They have Troy coming to town on September 3rd. I believe they will win that one comfortably. They have Central Arkansas. That's a win. They go to Georgia Tech, and I think they'll demolish that team in Atlanta. Uh, that is just just can't get right there for Jeff Collins. Tulsa comes to town and plays Mississippi at home. I believe that they will win that one as well. And then they host Kentucky on October the 1st. Kentucky is a team that, again, is getting a lot of preseason love, but we've talked about Kentucky and the style of ball that they play versus you know, what Mississippi is going to be able to do offensively. And I think if Mississippi is able to turn this into that shootout style, Kentucky's just not really built, I think, to trade those points. I don't, I just, I don't believe in a quarterback battle where it turns into sort of an air it out kind of deal. Uh, you know, if it turns into a, a little bit of a slugfest there, as I think Lane Kiffin has a tendency to turn his games into, I don't like Kentucky to go on the road and get that win. So I could see them winning there. And then they go to Vanderbilt to go basically party in Nashville or uh, excuse me. They yeah, it's not. No, is it? It's Nashville. Yeah, it's Nashville. Country music. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I could easily see this team starting off at six and oh. Then Auburn comes to town. We've already talked about this. I don't think Auburn, again, is built to beat a team like Mississippi. Uh, I think Ole Miss is going to give them all sorts of problems. So right there we could be looking at 7-0. October 22nd, they go to LSU. Um, Death Valley, if they are an undefeated team at that point, I would think that maybe this you know, moves up to sort of top billing, uh, especially if LSU is strung together a couple of wins and has a winning record by that time in the year as well. So we could see a night game in Death Valley. That's going to be a tough environment, as always, to get a win in, but I've already talked about how I like Ole Miss and their ability uh, offensive line-wise to kind of stand up to what LSU, I think, is going to be able to do best in with their front seven. So, uh, toss again, toss-up territory, but I'm leaning Ole Miss in that one. Texas A&M going to Kyle Field on October 29th. I said earlier I was leaning Ole Miss. I'm not. You know what? I've got that kind of as a push. Alabama. Alabama, they're going to catch Alabama in a stretch where Alabama is going through a lot of that, again, that very tough stretch of the year. But, again, Crimson Tide, I think, is going to be a little too much to overcome. However, we have seen Ole Miss give Alabama a lot of problems in the past, uh, not only under Lane Kiffin, but prior to that as well with uh, Coach Hugh Freeze. You know, they beat them two years in a row. So Ole Miss is one of those teams that has bit Alabama a couple of times. I, just, I don't know if I see it this year so much. The Arkansas game is kind of trap territory 
for me, honestly, because it's right before the Egg Bowl. It's on November the 19th, right before they go on to play uh, Mississippi State. I could see a situation where Mississippi comes off of playing Alabama. You know, maybe they're a little bit beat up. Maybe they get a little dejected from that competition a little bit. You know, I mean, Alabama does have a way of kind of taking a sledgehammer to your confidence. So I could see them potentially coming out of that one a little bit beat up. Maybe, you know, that injury report doesn't look so good. And then they have to take a tough road trip, you know, to Fayetteville to go take on Arkansas with a a team with Sam Pittman that's going to be very physical up front. And if K.J. Jefferson is still playing some good ball by then and in and, and a healthy situation, I could see him being tough to deal with, especially with what K.J. Jefferson is able to do on, you know, and short situations. If they're able to live sort of in third and short, uh, being the Arkansas Razorbacks, I could see Mississippi really struggling to get that offense off the field. We saw what happened when these two teams played last year. They scored about a bajillion points on each other so I could see them losing that game and sort of ending up in like a little bit of a three-game slide here as the back end of this schedule is kind of brutal for them you know with the Texas A&M Alabama Arkansas matchups you know consecutively uh, and then they have the Egg Bowl and so Mississippi State and Mississippi square off in that one. Ole Miss has gotten the better of that competition the last couple times they played, but there is a volatility factor with these two Mississippi teams, right? That is, like I said, with the way that Ole Miss has gone about preparing in this offseason with bringing in all of these transfers. When you have a little bit of that mercenary culture, if it gels and all this talent hits for you, it can make a very formidable squad. If it doesn't, if you can't get that to gel, if the cohesion's not there, if culture's not there, it could also go the other way, right? So Ole Miss and Mississippi State, two teams that I think could have wildly swinging years. It could be, they could be really, really good, really hard to put away, or it could implode on itself. Uh, I see Mississippi State being kind of Jekyll and Hyde, more of that like week in, week out. With Ole Miss, I think it's either going to be, they're going to be pretty good, or they're going to kind of fall apart. Here down, like I said, this this back half of the, the, the schedule is so challenging. But I do like them to get that win hosting the Egg Bowl against Mississippi State. It's going to be a strength-on-strength matchup with this Mississippi State defensive front going against what I think is going to be a very good offensive line for Ole Miss. But I do think that they get that win to close out the year after hitting a little bit of what could be a three-game skid for them. So taking a look at the win total at 7.5 and and counting up the potential wins here, I've got them going on the over because I think that this is an 8-4 and team from the talent perspective, from the ability for Lane Kiffin to put his players in the best position to, you know, capitalize on opponents' weaknesses. And it, it, it will be... A step back from what they did last year. I mean, they are projected to take a step back from last year. However, I don't really see them going from like a 10 and 2 squad to falling to like a 6 and 6 squad. I don't see that. I don't even really see 7 and 5. I think 8 and 4 is more likely. I think that's sort of the most likely scenario here for Ole Miss because of how friendly the non-con is and how nice that schedule lines up for them through the first half of this season. I mean, they don't leave. They only go on the road one time in their first five games, and then that is a road trip to Georgia Tech, and then the other road trip after that is to Vanderbilt. So, like, I... 
absolutely think this team is starting undoubtedly 6-0. I could easily see them moving to 7-0 against Auburn. The real swing games here for them are going to be LSU, A&M, Arkansas, and then obviously Mississippi State. I think they do take a loss uh, Alabama, obviously. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm on the over here. 8-4 and four, most likely scenario as any given you sees it for the Ole Miss Rebels. Staying in the state of Mississippi and talking about the arch rival in the Mississippi State Bulldogs out of Stark Vegas with the Pirate Mike Leach in charge, the quirkiest coach in all of college football, has this team just as quirky as him. I would not bet these guys with a 25-foot pole and your bankroll. Um, I, I talked about how Jacqueline Hyde, I think this team, is going to be this fall. Now, I do really like their defense. I like their front seven. Their secondary is not going to be bad either, pretty solid. They have talented players on that side of the ball. And then we are now entering year three of the air raid overhaul there with the Mississippi State Bulldogs with a quarterback in Will Rogers that I think is actually going to be – I think he's very good. He's actually very good. Um, he has adapted into Mike Leach's system pretty well. And they obviously they, they chuck the ball around the field. They use the short passing game as an extension of the run game, and we have seen that – give your more traditional SEC defenses a little bit of a problem. Also, there's a volatility factor with that offense where sometimes it can't get going either. This is a very bipolar team. We've talked about this as a week-in and week-out sort of experiment. You don't know which Mississippi State squad is going to show up. Is it going to be the squad that torches you for 450 yards and you know plays a good solid game and gives you a lot of problems? Or is it going to be the team that does a bunch of clown shoes stuff and winds up losing to Memphis, getting blown out by Texas Tech in a bowl game when they don't really care, you know. It's it's really sort of interesting social experiment there. And I think that that is what this team is trying to tell you they are. They have talent and I think that they are able, they have the ability to upset, to be that spoiler team, to be like that sort of pirate crew that shows up and really spoils your day and then turns around and loses to an ass clown squad that they have no business losing to. I could see this team upsetting the likes of a Georgia or a Texas A&M or maybe even an Alabama potentially, but then turning around and losing to Auburn or dropping one against, you know, Arkansas or Lo even losing to maybe, you know, Kentucky, who knows, but like, I, I'm not sure what to make of this team. However, given the talent that I know that they do have, and given that the front seven of this Mississippi State Bulldog squad is to be so dominant, and the things that they can do offensively that can give you nightmares, at six and a half on Caesars, I am tempted to lean towards the over, but literally by like half a game. I am thinking that seven and five for this squad is probably where they'll land and what that seven and five looks like I could not tell you to be honest with you now taking a look at the schedule they host Memphis this year to start the season at a 7 30 p.m kickoff for a revenge game I'm sure Memphis is a team out of the G5 that is not bad in their own right they come out of the American they've played some good ball over the last several years I do think that Mississippi State will make a good statement win there in week one and get right. Then they take a trip to Arizona to take on the Pac-12 opponent there, who the Arizona Wildcats in 2021, a lot of people have billed as the best one-win 
team in America with the level of effort that they played with under head coach Jed Fish there. I think he has that program trending in the right direction. However, Mississippi State is vastly more talented than Arizona, so I see the win there for them. Then they take a trip to Death Valley. Who knows? They have Bowling Green the next week. They host them. Uh, so for the first four games, what I'm taking a look at here is they're going to get these teams' best shot. Like Memphis is going to go in there trying to beat them two times in a row. Uh, Arizona is going to play with a high level of effort at home. And uh, Bowling Green is a team that is not was not very good last year, but they have a ton of returning production this year, and they're going to play hard. Now, none of those none of those teams are as talented as Mississippi State, but the tri-factor will be there. And they're going to play LSU at Death Valley on September 17th and certainly get their best effort too. So if Mississippi State comes out with their wishy-washy sort of flat kind of play, I could see them potentially taking a loss at LSU. I could, I mean, again, I could see them dropping one of these non-cons. I could see it. I, if that offense doesn't get off to the kind of start that, you know, we're expecting here in year three under Mike Leach and they struggle and they mess around with the lapses in discipline, the mistakes that the mental mistakes that you've seen out of the squad under Mike Leach, you could see that, but then turn around, who knows? They could, I mean, they could host Texas A&M and then beat them off the heels of like losing to a, a Memphis or, you know, or getting destroyed by LSU. So I don't know what to really make of this team, but I do know that the talent is there and they do some things well enough that I think they could give a lot of teams on this schedule some, some problems. I think Kentucky is an SEC East pretender in terms of they're not as good as their billing. We discussed that in the SEC East win totals. Yeah, I, I think Kentucky is just sort of what Kentucky has been, which is just a, a decent SEC team. I think that that matchup with Mississippi State is going to be really tough for them. So I, I'm leaning towards Mississippi State to get the win there. When Mississippi State hosts Auburn, I think they'll get a win there as well. Uh, then they host Georgia on the uh, on the heels of that Auburn matchup. I've already talked about Georgia needs to go in there ready to play that game because that is exactly prime Mississippi State territory to, to like get up for a game and really give them problems. You know, you could see potentially Georgia struggling with that Mississippi State offensive attack like we saw the last time that they squared off. I've already talked about that. I, I, this is such a frustrating team. I want to believe in them, but I've seen so much empirical evidence up to this point that just kind of shows me that I think. I feel like Mississippi State may have hit sort of their final form under Mike Leach. They're going to be a really up and down, high volatility factor, tough seven and five team, kind of hard to beat week in and week out, but they will beat themselves at certain points during the season. They do have a very easy win with East Tennessee State on November 19th, right before they take on Mississippi in the Egg Bowl. I do lean Ole Miss in that one, but I could just as easily see Mississippi State getting that win in a spirited contest at the end of the year. So I think they go bowling for sure. I think six, six and six is very, very much, um, you know, I, I would I would say six and six is probably the floor for this program this year. I would say the absolute ceiling you could be look if they put everything together, you could be looking at nine and three, which is a huge swing. But I, I'll take, I'm going to split the difference here. I'll take seven and five 
on Mississippi State this year. Like I said, what 7-5 and five looks like, they could beat the, uh, the upper echelon of the SEC and wind up messing around and losing the bottom feeders the very next week. I think that that is what you're going to see out of this Mississippi State team until they show me some evidence to uh, make me think to the contrary. But I will take the over. 7-5 and five, Mississippi State, but again... I would not bet this team. I advise you not to bet this team, and we'll see how this ages at the end of this season. Yes, sir. Suey Pig hit the jukebox, baby. We're talking the uh, Arkansas Razorbacks. Sam Pittman-led Arkansas Razorbacks behind quarterback K.J. Jefferson. They returned Bumper Pool for like the 900th year at linebacker. They also are infused with some pretty good transfer talent as well uh, on the defensive side of the ball, as well as wide receiver Jadon Hazelwood, a guy that is from Oklahoma who certainly has the potential to go off, possibly replace Traylon Burks, which they're really missing uh, off that offensive attack coming into this year. A solid offensive line up front, as you would expect, out of Sam Pittman. Let's talk about the Arkansas Razorbacks. So this team's schedule this year is very, very tough. Okay, they have non-cons. Their non-con is kind of insane when you take a look at it because they're taking on Cincinnati. They take a trip to Provo to take on BYU. Liberty, a independent that has been pretty strong over the last couple of years. I don't think they're going to be as strong this year, but they do have them as well. And they have Missouri. They have cross-division matchup South Carolina as well as Missouri, so a pretty friendly draw there. And Caesars has these guys at a projected 6.5. When I'm taking a look at this roster, I I think if they had scheduled their non-cons a little more friendly, I would easily say that this would be a 7 or 8 win team coming into this year. Arkansas last year in 2021 was a really awesome feel-good story with what this program had gone through prior to Sam Pittman taking over. He took over during the 2020 season, obviously the COVID year. It was a really tough start, but you could even see right then and there that Ar- that uh, Arkansas was doing things the right way. They were playing with a higher level of effort and attention to detail and physicality and everything else. And then in 2021, this last year, I think they really did. They overachieved, in my opinion. They, they really performed to a very high mark for that roster. Now, they do have talent. They have size. They have speed. But this is not one of those teams that's north of 50% on the blue chip uh, ratio. Most of their roster is still very much comprised of three stars that they're having to develop. And this isn't a highly, highly ambitious schedule for the uh, for the Hogs this year. So taking a look at it, September 3rd, we talked about they host Cincinnati, a uh, group of five team that is going to be heading to the Big 12 off of their recent success uh, with head coach Luke Fickle, who's done an outstanding job building that program there. Cincinnati has had a huge huge exodus of talent from last season, which, you know, obviously they went to the college football playoff. I don't think that this is the same Cincinnati, obviously. I mean, how could it be with everything that they've lost? Although I do still think that this will be a very spirited contest in a, in a, in a tough game. I mean, they could have obviously gone out and found an easier opponent uh, than them, but I, I do see Arkansas getting a win against Cincinnati to start the year. Then they host South Carolina. It has to come out to Fayetteville, which is, you know, a tough 
tough road environment for that South Carolina team, but a team that I think these two are are more evenly matched, uh, you know, than not. Although I will give the nod to Arkansas because they are at home, but that is going to be a tough contest for them to to get a win that day as well. Then they host Missouri State. I think that that is a good get right for them. But then right after that, they get into some really meat and potatoes matchups as they do have to take a trip to Texas A&M to Kyle Field and uh, and take on the Aggies. I don't see them getting out of that one with a win as we've discussed the talent level at Texas A&M. They host Alabama. He gave Alabama all sorts of fits last year, but I think this Alabama team is much better prepared to take on Arkansas and really take that team seriously. And like I said, there were some players last year for Arkansas that really elevated that team to another level. Traylon Burks being one of them in that passing attack. He had an absolute monster game, put it all out, laid it all on the line, man. That's one of the gutsiest performances I've seen on a college football field was Traylon Burks last year against Alabama. Alabama, the Tide are going to win that one. I, I feel pretty confident in saying that. Then they go to Starkville to take on Mississippi State. Again, who knows? And then they have to take a really hard road trip to BYU Provo. The Cougars are extremely hard to beat in that venue. And coming off of the Texas A&M trip, playing Alabama and Mississippi State, I think Arkansas, I wonder how healthy they're going to be. And this is one of my major concerns for Arkansas this year. The SEC West gauntlet is hard enough to get through, but when you schedule physical teams like Cincinnati, when you get a team that's going to play with a lot of effort like a South Carolina, you're taking on Texas A&M and Alabama, you know, coming out of that and the Mississippi State as well. When you don't have a whole lot of depth, which Arkansas is still working on building that up, going to a team like BYU, who also has a very aggressive, schedule this year in their own right. BYU is taking on all comers as they still are an independent team at this point. I wonder what that game looks like. Both of these teams could be pretty beat up by that time. I want to lean Arkansas because of the SEC factor you know, having gone and, and being battle tested and everything else like that. But BYU, again, a program that's taken on all comers and a very physical team in their own right with a lot of returning production and some of the best depth that BYU has enjoyed in the last couple of years. So I actually think that Arkansas could drop that game and end up taking a loss there. Then they got to take a trip to Jordan-Hare to take on Auburn. Who knows what Auburn looks like at that point in time. Uh, in a vacuum, I like Arkansas in this contest, but um, you know, who knows. Then they play Liberty. I like them to get the win in the non-con there. LSU takes a trip to Arkansas. LSU, again, a team that is not quite there yet. It is in the rebuild right now with Brian Kelly, so I have that one as a solid toss-up. I think Ole Miss could get the best of Arkansas. Arkansas here on November the 19th. And then I feel pretty confident that Arkansas will close out their season with a win against Missouri, provided that this roster is still healthy enough. The depth at quarterback is my main concern for this Arkansas team, because I feel like if KJ Jefferson is not healthy, if he does not survive this schedule and make it through this season, you could see the wheels completely fall off of this hog squad. And basically they turn back into the pumpkin that they were, you know, prior to the 2021 season where they're struggling to make bowl eligibility. They're struggling to cobble together even three or four wins. At six and a half, I'm going to take the under for the Arkansas Razorbacks. Although I still believe that this program is trending in the right direction, this this schedule is just so ambitious with the non-con and then the SEC West factor, the lack of depth, and then again, 
with the style that they play with KJ Jefferson, kind of using him like a battering ram. It's one of the strengths of the team, but if he does get hurt, you know, I mean, even big guys get hurt. I mean, he's a load at, you know, six foot three or six foot four and 245 pounds, but, you know, even big dudes get hurt. And, you know, big guys like him at the quarterback position, they take shots, man. They lower the shoulder and they take a lot of hits. So I am worried about his ability to finish the year. And then that Arkansas defense can be a little bit leaky. We have seen it get leaky with the 3-3-5 that they like to run, you know, that that nickel nickel look. They do have some good defensive additions, especially at the linebacker core uh, with the Alabama transfer back there. So it should be interesting to see if this defense takes a step forward and, and helps Helps out that offense a little bit, but I think that six and six is honestly, I'd, I'd say it's a good job, you know, with this schedule for Sam Pittman with what he has on that squad. I do see them going bowling. Uh, most teams in the SEC, I see them going, you know, bowling. I mean, if history shows us anything, there's 14 teams in the conference. Usually, about 11 to 12 of those teams do end up going bowling every year. So even running this gauntlet, I like them to get to six wins, but this is going to be a very tough, hard fought road for the Arkansas Razorbacks. And speaking of tough schedules, let's talk about a team that has one of the, if not the toughest schedule in all the nation every single year. The Auburn Tigers, Caesars has them projected at 5.5 wins. And you've heard me speak at length about how I'm not very high on this 2022 Auburn squad. I don't know how I could be given the recent developments with Auburn. We saw this team last year make a bowl game, uh, but end up, you know, losing to Houston in that bowl game to go six and seven, continuing Auburn's sort of atrocious postseason performance over the last several years. That's not just under Brian Harson, obviously. That was also under Gus Malzahn. And Auburn is a team that is just not built well, I think, coming into this year. They have talent because of how it has been recruited there, mainly from the Gus Malzahn tenure, but it was it's highly rated players, but the roster is just not built in a way, I think, to be successful uh, in the SEC, in the current SEC right now. The quarterback room is very suspect. Wide receiver position, I really don't even really know who the heck they, they have there. It's not, I mean, it's not a very formidable group. Uh, they do have Tank Bigsby with five returning offensive linemen, as I talked about earlier. I, but those five offensive linemen that they have returning have not played very well. We have front office drama. We had the administration there trying to get Brian Harson fired for cause this offseason, even going so far as to make allegations that really had no validity to it. This is just, it seems like a very toxic sort of environment to be entering a season with this kind of schedule when you need continuity, when you need a unified front. Auburn is doing what Auburn does best. And just with the unrealistic expectations, I think it's just been a situation that Brian Harson came into sort of doomed to fail. You know, you had exodus from the staff as well, not just the roster with transfer portal guys, but losing coordinators. Uh, it's just, I don't think it's a very secure situation. And I could see a couple of losses turning this season completely sideways for the Auburn Tigers. As if taking on Georgia, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, and Alabama wasn't enough, you go ahead and add Penn State in the non-con as well. They do have a game where they host Missouri. Missouri is not very good either this year. Um, undoubtedly worse off than Auburn, given the uh, lack of talent on that Missouri 
Missouri roster and all the overturn there. So I do see them getting a win there. But there are some really hungry teams here in the SEC West looking to step up and, you know, make sort of statement wins this year, LSU being one of them who they host on October the 1st. That that game could be a swing game there. They have to take a tough trip to Ole Miss. I think that that is a very tough game for them. We've already talked about Texas A&M and Alabama in the Iron Bowl. They do get up every single year for the Iron Bowl. I got that. I hear you. But I just think overwhelmingly Alabama is just so much better than this Auburn team. The, the concern for me is the signal caller position. What are they going to do in that quarterback room? We saw TJ Finley last year throw screen pass passes into the press box, overshoot everybody, terribly inaccurate. You bring in Zach Calzada out of Texas A&M, who likes to throw every ball at 100 miles an hour. And again, who like how are they going to stay balanced offensively with a lack of weapons in the receiver core, unproven commodities at the quarterback position, and then a shaky coaching situation, a shaking front office situation, and, and, and everything else. So at five and a half, taking a look at this schedule with the non-con against Penn State, having to take on LSU, taking a trip to Ole Miss, going to Tuscaloosa this year for the Iron Bowl, hosting A&M, and then having to take a trip to a Mississippi State squad, which again, I think is built to give Auburn problems. Stylistically, I think they are built to give Auburn problems. I see this team going five and seven, and I actually called this weeks and weeks ago. If you're a member on the Any Given You Facebook group, you have seen me throw that one out there as sort of that, uh, I'm not going to really call it a bold prediction. I don't think it's really bold. I think Vegas would agree with me too with this win total set at five and a half. I'm leaning under. I, I, th- I don't think Auburn goes bowling this year. I think that this could get potentially really, really ugly too if, let's say, they don't get off to the strongest start and they end up losing at home to Penn State and they end up losing at home to LSU and then they get destroyed you know, taking a trip to Georgia. At this point, you could be looking at Auburn sitting at three and three going into an October 15th matchup at Old Miss with Brian Harson's future already decided whether they win or lose. You could see this Auburn administration actually get rid of him at that point in the season. And then what does the rest of the season look like as you're now hitting your toughest stretch going to Mississippi State, hosting Texas A&M right, you know, ahead of the, uh, the Iron Bowl as well. I think that you, we could see a complete implosion for Auburn this season. All of those factors sort of line up. I solidly believe that if Auburn is sitting at like three and three or even two and four by the time they hit, you know, their October stretch here, that the administration will move on that Brian Harson release as, you know, his buyout will drop significantly from this past season to, to this, this upcoming season, try to get ahead in the coaching search there. And what scares me for that is the players that are still there, they are there probably solely because of Brian Harson. So if the administration does make that move, right, and they don't allow the process. They don't believe in him. And then the recruiting situation off the field continues to sort of deteriorate. I think you could see another mass exodus from this Auburn roster. I think you're going to see a lot of opt-outs. I mean, at that point, what are those guys playing for other than, well, I mean, what's the reasoning? You know, we know that Tank Bigsby probably has an NFL future. I would say that he is uh, certainly an NFL caliber back and looking to get drafted. So as we're pushing into the second half of the season, if that 
that nightmare scenario hits, I think you could see the talent, what talent that uh, this Auburn squad does have start to just dissipate, you know, with the opt-outs and everything else. I mean, we could we could see it happen in real time, and this could get really sideways. What is the silver lining for the program, though? Let's talk about, like, let's say this goes the other way. What are the factors that are going to contribute to that? Well, I think that if it goes the other way, it's because these five guys that have returned on the offensive line have gelled and taken a real step forward, and you see Auburn get in a style of football where they are really, really physical up front, they are able to establish the run with Tank Bigsby and rotating in Jarquez Hunter, maybe for a good one-two punch, maybe a little bit of uh, shades of Cadillac Ronnie Brown going on. I think that that's their best way ahead, allowing for either TJ Finley or Zach Calzada to have a strong play action game to at least keep the offense moving in, you know, forward instead of backward. Uh, cutting down on the turnovers and mental mistakes, I think maybe you could see that and you could see this offensive line potentially if they do take that step forward setting the tone for this team defensively they still have talent they do have talent on this field this is still a team like I said that is still north of that blue chip ratio it just depends on whether or not they can come out with some solidarity here and this Auburn administration can get out of the way and stop trying to sabotage this program um you know honestly I'm rooting for Brian Harson. I, I think that he is a a blue collar no nonsense kind of coach and you know I I I do wish him the best. I'd certainly like, this is how coaches feed their families. You know, I, I'm not advocating for anybody to lose their job or anything like that. I just, unfortunately, the world's not fair and I see things potentially getting really ugly. I will say this, it would be the most Auburn thing ever to have all of these factors stacked against them and then all of a sudden bust out like a nine or 10 win season and maybe threaten to win an SEC West championship or maybe upset Alabama at the end of the year. It would be a very Auburn thing to do. So you can't, I've seen Auburn like make a living off of doing stuff like that. So you can't really count out that factor, but I, I'm going to go with what the analytics are telling me on this one, what the research is telling me on this one. I'm not going to go, and, and honestly, what my gut is telling me on this one, and I feel like Auburn is in for a painful season, a 5-7 and seven finish, dead last in the SEC West, although not the most terrible team in the SEC. And honestly, it has a lot to do with, like I said, this schedule and the lack of unity in this organization. And that does it for this episode, folks. Another long-winded one, but I hope entertaining and fun, and I appreciate you guys sticking with me through these SEC East and SEC West win totals. We will continue our win totals with the Big 12 because I need a break from these gigantic super conferences. So we will knock out the Big 12 in our next win totals preview for the 2022 season. And if you enjoyed the content today, please get over to Apple and Spotify. Leave us a five-star review. Write us a uh, write us a review and leave a rating, uh, rather. And tell your friends about the podcast as we are closing in hot and heavy on the 2022 season. And remember, any given time, any given place, any given team, you get it here at any given you. 